Hi, my name is Sam Williamson. I have been a member of a church on Jackson Road called Covenant Community Church for the last 38 years. And two weeks ago, my church, Covenant Community Church, voted unanimously to merge with Grace so that we are now going to be part of Grace. So I was Sam Williamson of Covenant Community Church. I am now Sam Williamson of Grace Ann Arbor. Let's turn to the Lord. Father, the longing in our heart, the longing in every heart, is to see you, to know you, and to hear your voice. I pray today, as we open your word, that we see you, that we come to know you, and that we hear your voice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Most of my career was as an executive of a software company, but immediately after college, I went overseas to work in college ministry. So I lived in London for three years with several friends who were doing college ministry in universities there. And one of my friends that I lived with found a pastor who was doing college ministry as well. And he met, my, my friend met with this pastor just to learn a little bit more about his life and his ministry. And they got on the subject of prayer. And this pastor said, what I do when I pray is I think about the Psalms. I meditate in God's presence. And, and my friend thought this was a little shallow because we were contemporary worship fanatics. We were charismatic. And my friend said we like to clap and raise our hands and kneel and dance and sing. And that's what we do when we pray. So my friend came home and told us at dinner about this shallow, egghead theologian. And we all just sort of snickered about him. The pastor that my friend met with was a man named John Stott. In 2005, Time Magazine said John Stott was one of the 100 most influential people of the 20th century. And at age 21, I snickered at him. I've had a lot of humble pie to eat over the last several years. What John Stott said he's prayed about, meditated about, was the Psalms. And that's what we're going to do today is we're in a series about the Psalms, and today we're going to look at Psalm 88. Now, the, the Psalms are prayers and meditations that are divinely inspired by God. They help us deal with our issues in our life. Athanasius, Athanasius was called Athanasius the Great. He was also called Athanasius against the world. He was one of the greatest theologians in Christian history, and he lived... He served as a bishop between roughly 325 and 375. And he was fighting corruption in the church, and it was a losing battle. He got exiled five times during his ministry, literally kicked out into exile. And the way he said he survived the difficulties of his life is by meditating on the Psalms. He once wrote, whatever your particular need or trouble, whatever, from the Psalms, you can select a form of words to fit it so that you learn the way to remedy your ill. One of the psalmists in Psalm 49 said this about the Psalms. He said, my mouth will speak wisdom and in the meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will solve the riddle 
my riddle to the music of the lyre. God is saying we can actually solve the riddles of our lives. We can find answers to the troubles in our lives. We can find words that fit the ills of our lives in the Psalms, God's divinely inspired words. And I just want you to know that the Jews in the time of Jesus prayed the Psalms morning, noon, and night. An average man or woman by the age of 30 would have prayed each psalm a thousand times. Most of them would have had them memorized, would have every psalm memorized. And so when we pray the psalms, we're not just praying the psalms, but we are praying the very same words that Jesus prayed a thousand times. Every single psalm we pray, Jesus prayed a thousand times. And there's different categories of psalms. There's psalms of just praise and worship. How great you are, O Lord. All creation sings your glory. There's psalms of thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your steadfast love. There's psalms of confession. Psalm 51 says, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. And there's psalms of lamentation. There's psalms where we say, Father, I am in the depths of despair. I am in difficulty. Why have you abandoned me? And today we're going to read and study and, and hopefully hear and see God in Psalm 88. And Psalm 88 is the darkest of all the psalms of lament. Most of the psalms of lament end with a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, even though they're through dark despair, at the end it says, but I shall again praise the Lord. I shall again hear his voice. And as you will see, the psalm ends on a dark note. The final word in the psalm is darkness. And I want to say, I believe this psalm is great for people who are suffering sadness, sorrow, or even depression. I know some of us have had chronic depression throughout our lives. Some of us have only had episodic depression. You know, maybe we were just divorced or we just lost our job or we were just forced to retire when we didn't want to and, and we're sad, we've lost some meaning. Others of us have just had fleeting moments of sadness. I believe this psalm has something to say to all of us in our sadness. And I think if some of us have just had charmed lives, it has something to say to us even in those who have had the charmed lives without sadness. Although I do want to warn you, if you've never had sadness, don't worry. So I'm going to read Psalm 88 in its entirety. And just bear with me in this as we read the words of God. O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayers come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to hell. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me, and you have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. 
My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon, which is hell? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death, from youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath is swept over me and your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. And my closest companion is darkness. And these are the words of the Lord. I want to talk a little bit about the anatomy of suffering or the anatomy of depression. In this psalm, the psalmist starts by saying, I cry out day and night. Incline your ear, O God, to my cry. But I, O Lord, cry to you. And the Hebrew writer uses three different words that we've translated cry. The first word is, I shriek day and night. It is a deep, intense emotion of screaming. I scream, I shriek all day before you. The second verse is, incline your ear to my shout. It is a loud cry. Incline your ear to my shout. And the third word is, but I, O Lord, cry to you. And the word cry here is more of a quiet call for help. Help. I'm shrieking, I'm shouting, and I'm just whispering. O Lord, help. And if you've ever been in depression, if you've ever had seasons of sadness, you know this feeling of of, of crying for help. We cry to God for help. We cry to our friends for help. Somehow we want others to know the taste and the texture of the terrors in our lives. And how many of us have experienced this? How many of us know someone who has experienced this? And it is a deep sadness with a crying and a shrieking and a whispering. There's pain. Part of the anatomy of suffering, of depression, is the day and night nature. The psalmist says, I pray out day and night. And what the psalmist is saying is, I'm doing this constantly because my depression is affecting me at night. I can't sleep. I am sleepless at night. And those of us who have met with depressed people know they can't sleep at night. They lay awake with the terrors in the night, but during the day they're exhausted because they didn't sleep all night. And so they sort of have wakeless days and sleepless nights. And it's a vicious circle. They cry day and night. There's divorce, the loss of a child, the loss of a parent. We got fired. And we are in despair. We shriek day and night. Some of these sufferings are just internal sufferings. The psalmist says, my soul is filled with troubles. And by this means... There's an inner anxiety that we think about, where we meditate on. We have uncontrollable thoughts, and we try to stop our thoughts. You know these anxious thoughts, nothing is ever going to go right. 
Have you ever had that? You know, whatever you do at night, you're laying awake and you say, whatever I do is going to fail. There's this inner suffering, anxiety, recriminations. Oh, Sam, why did you do that? Why did you do that? Oh, my goodness, if I only hadn't said that. There's an inner fire, but there's an inner iciness, a numbness in our heart. But there's also external suffering. The psalmist says, I am in the depths of the pit. In the regions dark and deep, I am overwhelmed with your waves. There's an outside pressure, circumstance. Not only are we inwardly anxious, but there's some reality to that anxiety because things outside aren't working. They're pressing in on the vacuum of our soul. And it hurts. Shortly before I got married to my wife, I... I had chronic fatigue syndrome, although we didn't call it that then. We just called it mono. But I had chronic fatigue syndrome, and it lasted for years. And it was an external suffering that just felt like it would never end. It hurt. I was just exhausted. Now, I could sleep at night, but I couldn't stay awake during the day. I was exhausted. The events of our life squeeze in on us. Not only external suffering, but it leads to a loneliness. If, and if you've ever had a friend who's suffering depression, you will know that they feel, if you have ever suffered depression, you will know the loneliness, the sense of isolation, the sense that nobody understands what I've gone through. And, 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 and if we've had friends who have been depressed, we know that it's hard to go spend time with them because what do they do? They bring us down. You know, Scripture says bear each other's burdens, and we go and we try to bear the burdens of our friend, but, but their weight brings us down. It's hard to be depressed. It's hard to be with someone depressed. And then there's a sense of being trapped. The psalmist says, I am shut in, so I cannot escape. Recently, I spoke with several friends who were work. Um, clinically depressed. Two are actually hospitalized. And I'm trying to bear their burdens, and I'm just saying, tell me some, what, what are your thoughts that go through your mind? What, what's in your head? Tell me just some of your feelings. And all three of these people said this exact same thing, even to the number. They said, 70% of my thoughts are, this will never end. I'm trapped. It'll never be over. It has a sense of eternity weighing down on them. I'm trapped. And lastly, there's always the thoughts of death. I'm a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave. When we suffer, especially when we suffer depression, our, our, our thoughts, maybe 70% of our thoughts are this will never end, but a percentage of our thoughts are just death. I feel dead. Those of us who are suffering depression feel dead, a numbness in our hearts. We've lost joy, a hopelessness. I think I told you this was going to be sad. It does get better, but not yet. Bear with me. One of the things I want us to just look at is this psalmist prays all this to God. He cries to God. O oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. 
Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my whisper for help. If you go to your friends, if you go to some counselors, you'll often hear two very different recommendations for how to deal with the terrors of your life. Some people will say, just stuff it. One of the depressed friends I was talking about, she said her husband would say, just stop it. Stop it. Just be happy. Stuff it. And she said, I can't. Another advice you'll hear is someone will say, just vent it. You know, take a baseball bat and beat that oil drum until you're happy again. And Scripture says, Scripture is not saying stuff it, otherwise why would the psalm be written there, right? But Scripture is also not saying vent it. Scripture is saying there's a way that we can pray our suffering to God. And God even gives us these words to pray our suffering to God. And that's what the psalmist does. Some of us think the depression and the sadness and the sorrow and the suffering come because this person has done everything wrong. You know, that's those of us who have charmed lives. We say, if Jay would just be like I am, if only they'd be like me, just happy. But, But look at this psalmist. This psalmist is doing everything right. I mean, the psalmist's words are in Scripture. They're not... They're not doing too badly, are they? They're doing everything right, and yet they are suffering. Job, there's a book, the book of Job is a whole book about suffering. In the very first chapter of the book of Job, God says, is there anyone like my servant Job? How would you like God to say that about you? Is there anybody like my servant Matt? Holy smokes. And yet Job goes into deep depression. Look at Jesus. He did a few things right, didn't he? God is not saying here, this is just for the people who have totally screwed up their lives. God is saying there's a difficulty in our lives. So the charmed of us, let's not say if only they lived like us. And to complicate matters, this is where it gets darkest and then we'll be done. The psalmist says, but you, God, did this. Listen to these verses. You, God, have put me in the depths of the pit. Your wrath, God, lies heavy upon me, and you, God, overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. Afflicted and close to death, I suffer your terrors. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. The very agent we go to for hope and help, we are accusing of causing our internal and external suffering. And the psalm closes, as we know, with this final thing. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me, and my closest companion is darkness. Now, those of us who lived a charm life, I guarantee you would never have put this psalm in Scripture, right? I mean, you're compiling all the songs of the history of the children of Israel. You have thousands to choose from. Would you choose this as one of the 150? This is your entire songbook, okay? You only get 150 from all the songs you've ever sung. I would not put this in here. And yet God himself chose to put this in here. Why? I think partly it's the mercy of God. 
Why would God put in words where we're just even accusing God of causing our struggle? Derek Kidner is a commentator on the book of Psalms, and Derek Kidner said this about these difficult Psalms. He said, the very presence of such prayers in Scripture is witness to God's understanding and mercy. He knows how we speak when we are desperate. And imagine the mercy of God to be able to include words that we can pray in the depths of our despair. They're actually stronger than any of us would have said if it wasn't in Scripture. God is a merciful God. But we said at the beginning of the sermon, we said, Psalm 49 said, I will solve my mystery to the Psalms. I will solve my mystery. What is the mystery that we are going to solve? How do we solve the riddle that God did this? How do we solve the riddle of the deep darkness? How do, how do we get out of this darkness? The psalm ends in darkness. How do we get out of that? And the answer is we learn to see Jesus. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City, and he wrote a book on the psalms, and he said the psalms help us see God. To see God not as we wish or hope him to be, but to see the actual God as he reveals himself. How does God reveal himself in this psalm? What do we see about God in this psalm? We see our suffering, we think. How do we see God in this psalm? In the Old Testament, there is a fundamental tension that never gets resolved. Okay? And this is the tension. On one hand... God says over and over again, if you are faithful, I will bless you. If you really seek me, you will find me. If you fear me, you will hear me. But all of these are conditional. If you seek me, if you're faithful, if you obey me. And most of us in our honest moments, those few, let's be honest right now, we're in church, we don't really fear God that much. We seek God some, but not always. And so what hope do we have? This is one half of the tension. But the other half of the tension is some other places God says, no matter what, no matter what, I will follow you. No matter what, I will search you out. No matter what, you're the, you're the one sheep that ran away. I'm going to leave the 99 and go follow you. And we say, well, which is it? Is God's love conditional? If you love me, I'll love you, God says. Or is God unconditional? No matter what. No matter what you've done, you could be the worst person in the world. No matter what you've ever done, I will pursue you to the utter ends of the world. Which one is it? Nobody knew until the cross of Jesus. At the cross of Jesus, we have someone who fulfilled the if. If you obey me, if you're faithful, if you love me, if you search me, we have someone who fulfilled that completely. And what Jesus said is give that blessing to Grace Ann Arbor. Jesus said, I deserve it. I fulfilled it all. But give it to Grace. Give it to Sam. Give it to John. Give it to David. Give it to Mary. Give it to Linda. This is how the tension is fulfilled in Scripture. That's how we see God in Psalm 88. John Stott, that man I laughed at 
38 years ago, 37 years ago, wrote this. He said, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. But the essence of the gospel is God substituting himself for man. What, scripture, what Jesus says is, I lived the perfect life. Give my reward to Linda. I lived the perfect life. Give my blessing to John. And Jesus says, even though I lived my perfect life, and Sam didn't, Jesus says, I will take on his curse that he can have my blessing. That's the meaning of this 2 Corinthians passage. It says, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. They don't find their yes in Sam doing the greatest job in the world. They find their yes in Jesus. So how do we find a yes in Jesus in this psalm? What I want us to do in a moment is imagine Jesus praying this psalm. Remember, Jesus would have prayed this psalm. If he was average, Jesus would have prayed this psalm a thousand times by the time he was 30. Let's just think he might have been above average, you know. Jesus prayed this psalm a thousand times. He had it memorized. So the very first verse, I cry to you day and night. You know, the truth is, I do not cry to God day and night, even when things aren't going right. You know, I just got notified that I'm going to be audited by the IRS. I am scared. But am I crying to God day and night? No, I am watching Netflix. Are you with me? I'm going golfing. I do cry to God, help my golf game. But I am not crying to God day and night. I am crying to God maybe episodically. Jesus cried to God day and night. We see that throughout the Gospels, Jesus crying to God day and night. And God gave Jesus a deaf ear. Why? So that Sam Williamson, who was crying to God so imperfectly, may always be heard by God. Scripture says the soul of Jesus went down to the pit so that our soul will never go to the pit. We may feel despair at times, but our despair will not be eternal. It's momentary. It's episodic. Scripture says, your wrath lies heavy upon me. This is the passage in Psalm. But what Scripture says is God's wrath fell on Jesus who absorbed the entire wrath of God so that Amy will experience the love of God completely, fully. The psalm said, my companions shun me and I am a horror to them. Scripture says of Jesus, he was despised and rejected by us. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And acquainted means knowing it experientially. He knew experientially grief as one from whom Men hid their faces. He was despised. Jesus suffered all of these things that we do not suffer them to the end. Right in the very middle of this, there's a set of rhetorical questions. These are the rhetorical questions. And I want you to imagine Jesus praying this. A thousand times, Jesus said, do you, Father, work wonders for the dead? Knowing what Jesus was going to go through. Jesus prayed, is your steadfast love declared in the grave, knowing that he was going to be put in the grave? 
Jesus said, are your wonders known in the darkness? Knowing Jesus would experience the eternal darkness for us. How do we solve the mystery of this? The book, The Life of Pi by Jan Martel, in the book, The Life of Pi, the narrator is a Hindu. He's in a boat, he's in a rowboat with um, a priest. And he's trying to understand Christianity and he doesn't get it. He starts to rail about this Jesus who is crucified. He says, but once a dead God, always a dead God, even resurrected. The son must have the taste of death forever in his mouth. There must be a stench at the right hand of the father. The horror must be real. Why would God wish that upon himself? Why not leave death to mortals? Why make ugly what is beautiful? Why spoil what is perfect? And Father Martin responds, love. Love is the reason he went through that. When Jesus prayed, is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Jesus was praying, my steadfast love will be declared in the grave. The grave itself declares the eternal love and compassion and mercy of God. The wonders of God are known in the darkness. I don't know if you remember, but in the communion, words of institution in the communion, the very closing words are, Paul writes, as long as we eat this bread and drink this wine, we proclaim the death of our Lord. Because the grave of Jesus Christ declares the steadfast, committed, promised, never-ending love of God. Let's pray.